drove home from uh, dropping the kids off school. I am back to front today for those of you watching this in person rather than listening to it later on on the podcast. Reason I'm back to front, actually, what did I leave on my desk? That's no, fine. All <laughs> the tax returns. Drove home from uh, dropping the kids off school. I am back to front today for those of you watching this in person rather than listening to it. That was very unprofessional. For some reason, now my iPad's, <laughs> iPad's playing to myself. So uh, everything is a little bit disorganized today. Let's see. The reason it's disorganized is I was trying to fix my sound on the PC. <clears throat> and I actually had some really good suggestions from people. I had a couple of emails from someone in particular who may be listening to this. I don't know if they want to be named. That was very, very comprehensive. And <clears throat> I went through and I tried lots of ideas, and I think it's partly helped me isolate the issue insofar as it is the channel that the microphone is on. It is OBS that is adding some noise in somewhere. I'm not entirely sure why. Don't know. Uh, but I started pulling stuff apart, and I was going to try obvious things, like let's just use a different USB cable plugged into a different slot, different port. Uh, and then I realized I didn't have a USB cable long enough to get from, where are we? So somewhere over there to somewhere over here. So I left things like half done and I went, I'm just going to roll to the iPhone with the Rode, I think it's the Rode Podcaster mic, they call it. It's like a little shotgun mic up there. Uh, and this actually works pretty well from my experience, particularly when there is no wind noise. There is actually a little uh, windy sock there for if you, uh, if you do end up somewhere with a bit of breeze. Okay, so... Let me actually get into the details of things because there's, uh, there's always some stuff. I've been doing a lot of Stripe stuff today. Uh, Collide. Let's talk about Collide. Collide is sponsoring again this week as they have done many times throughout the year. Collide is a fleet visibility solution for Mac, Windows and Linux that can help you securely scale your business. Learn more with the link on the blog post. Uh, now, one of the things about my sponsorships is that I... I never put any tracking in there. So I don't know how many people click through and have a look at the sponsor's message. I don't put the tracking there because people kind of don't want the tracking there. So uh, please go through and have a look. I don't know how many people are using it. I just know the sponsors keep coming back, which is really nice. So obviously something works well for them. Uh, oh, well, this, is, this is cool now because I can show you what I'm looking at. There's an epic collide image there of some very, uh, very spiritual looking person here becoming all-knowing, Collide giving you accurate, valuable, and complete fleet visibility across Mac, Windows, and Linux endpoints. I think I mentioned this last time, I must look at the CSS that does that nice gradient across the text there too. Uh, yeah. Very pleasing, very pleasing to the eye, the Collide website, so go and check them out. Now, uh, moving on to other things. So there hasn't got the iPad here, so I can see people's comments. I do see them flash by the screen on the, on the iPhone, but uh, often I like to come back to them so Stephen's there early, thinking he missed the stream. I was going to do the stream later today, but uh, I realised, Charlotte and I are looking at our schedule, and today, tomorrow, and the next day, we have absolutely nothing scheduled. We've got a shitload of stuff to do, but nothing in the schedule. And then we said, oh, it would be nice to go for a bike ride at the end of the day, and then have a beer on the way back. And then I thought, I don't really feel like doing my weekly video after that. So I brought it forward today. Next week, I think I'm going to be doing it on a Saturday morning, 24 hours later than now, because I'll be in Canberra doing some, doing some things. I'm not sure how much that they're going to be able to talk about, but I'll be in Canberra doing some cyber things next week. Uh, and the, for those of you from other parts of the world, Canberra is a little bit like our Washington, D.C. Uh, there's politicians, 
not a lot else, but that's, uh, it's a worthwhile spot. <laughs> now, uh, other things here, we've got Stephen Jones still there. Wayne, g'day Wayne. Uh, Tim is in Hobart, somewhere I can at least now say I've been, which is nice. Wayne's saying, try and ensure your mic cables are away from any power cables. Now this is sort of, um, I know what you're saying, and it sounds logical, the hesitation I have is that, again, when I record through Audacity, which is now Audionic, Audiotonic, no noise whatsoever. If I use the Windows sound recorder, no noise whatsoever. If I use OBS to record locally, it seems okay. And my problem appears to be OBS broadcasting to YouTube. So I'm more inclined to lean in the direction of a software issue than I'm a hardware issue. Eddie, good to be watching from Kenya. Lots of love, Troy. So uh, Kenya is the only place in Africa I have been. <laughs> so, and that was in, I think, 1992. So I'd like to get to Africa again. Uh, and then I actually see some other bits. Maybe take the kids. That'd be nice. Wayne says, you can show uh, Windows, etc. via OBS. Even use NDI to send iDevice displays on a, on a stream. OBS can do so. Okay. OBS to Twitch has been good for me. I wonder if OBS to YT, YouTube thing. I, I want to delve into this more. And in fact, I tried just doing, uh, skipping OBS altogether and just doing like live stream through YouTube. Uh, so literally just going to the YouTube website, picking up the webcam and the mic. The problem I've got, and I've had this ever since I got the Elgato Cam Link, which allows me to use that really, really nice camera that's sitting up there above my screens. Uh, the problem I've got with that is that it doesn't seem to want to pick up the camera. It's like camera not found. And I have this problem with various web-based uh, video conferencing softwares as well. It doesn't like picking up the camera. So a little bit of a pain, but we'll fix it. Seems to be good at the moment. Okay, so uh, I did actually have some things on the uh, on the agenda today. And one of the things, just doing this completely out of order, is I've been doing a lot of stuff with Stripe. And let me start with the best bits. The people at Stripe have been totally awesome. Every time I ask a question about Stripe, I get people reaching out via Twitter uh, offering support both publicly there and providing email addresses. I, I put out a tweet probably about an hour ago asking a question. Uh, someone has, has done exactly what I just mentioned, who is a different person to the two people that did it on previous occasions and we've had offline conversations and they've been absolutely top notch. Uh, I was talking to Scott Helm about some Stripe stuff only about half an hour ago as well. Same comment. Charlotte's been doing a lot of Stripe stuff. She said the support by the, the, the chat bot, which actually gets you to a human really quickly, has been great. There's a Discord channel, for, particularly for developers, which looks really good. There's Scott, he's there in the chat. So I think Scott would agree with me, like all the support from people at Stripe has been excellent. Uh, and I, I look forward to having some beers with them at some point in the future. The tooling, and a lot of this is because of what I'm doing with Have I Been Pwned, which I'll talk more about in a moment. Uh, that the tooling is super cool too. The APIs are cool. It's very clever. There's a lot of stuff in there that uh, Scott says in the chat here, I did a Stripe support chat today and they knew exactly how to fix my issue. All right, good result. Let's talk more about support soon too. The tooling and the APIs are super cool. There's actually some really, I guess, much more complex than what I realized concepts around charging people money for something. Uh, and in my naivety, which seems to be a term I'm using a lot lately, <laughs> about this subject. In my naivety, 
when I first set up the Stripe payments in 2019, uh, I thought it was pretty simple. It's like you just, you basically just charge money for something and that's it. But the workflow involves when you when you charge someone something in Stripe, uh, a customer is created and then an invoice is created, even though I don't have a concept of invoices when you buy an API key for $3.50. Uh, and then uh, a charge is raised and then a charge is successfully fulfilled. And when you actually go through the events just for buying something in Stripe, there's like six, seven, eight different events that happen just to charge money for something. And then there's webhooks for all of these so that you can hook into these with your own APIs and do certain things based on it. So it's it, it's actually quite a complex uh, complex beast. Some of the things that I just didn't have my head wrapped around properly is stuff like if someone has a recurring subscription, you know, so every month they're paying their $3.50 and it's, it's fine on like the day they take it out and then, you know, month one, month two, month three, and then their credit card expires or they don't have any money left on their card and the payment doesn't go through. Now, the, the key in Have I Been Pwned dies, which is fine because it only gets extended after a successful payment. There's a webhook that does that from Stripe. But that's not the end of it. Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that's the end of it. Their key's dead, job done. And it was only when I started going back into the history of an individual, I was like, these people still have outstanding invoices because the invoices weren't dying. So there's a setting that you've got to go in and you've got to say that if the payment is unsuccessful after N number of days, well, then you void the invoice, which is fine. That's what it does now, except I've got a ridiculous number of invoices sitting there from previous people that weren't able to pay that now I've got to figure out how to get rid of that. I think we're shallow to figure that out. Now, the one that I raised today was Stripe is trying to provide either no-code or low-code options as well as all the API integration stuff they've done. And as I mentioned last week, I was really happy to sort of push more stuff out to the Stripe side of processing so that you enter your credit card on Stripe.com or you do an Apple Pay on Stripe.com or you do all the 3DS verification or other steps that payment providers are putting people through on Stripe.com, which is great. And part of that is using things like there is a, uh, an embeddable pricing table. So when you've got products to buy, and at the moment, the only product is a $3.50 a month rate limited API key, but very soon it will be different rate limits and then monthly or annual billing. The embeddable pricing table is cool because it automatically shows your products and it makes it really easy to switch between like the monthly and the annual pricing. And then when you click through and you go to pay, it's like, do you want to change it to the annual one or do you want to change it to a different rate limit? That's really, really neat. And it's done just by putting markup in your HTML on the consuming website. Easy job. And then the lawyers got involved. I can't blame the lawyers for this, but one of the things we're doing is updating terms and conditions. And uh, you know how much fun it is reading terms and conditions? Try writing them. It is lousy. Now, because it's not much fun, we're paying someone else to do it. So it's literally KPMG lawyers writing terms and conditions. Uh, and of course, we're iterating on it a bit, making sure the nomenclature and all this sort of stuff is right. Uh, Scott's just realised he's meant to actually read the terms and conditions because of course, none of us do. It's like we just check the box or we go through and we're like, yeah, she'll be right, no problems. But it is one of those necessary evils. So lawyers have been writing it up and we were speaking to them the other day and they said, um, you know, what you really should do, and keeping in mind as well, like 
this is Australia. Uh, you might be in a different part of the world where things are different. <laughs> but Australian lawyers, Australian, Australian service, Australian company running it, so it's all Australian stuff. Uh, but they said, look, what you really should do is uh, effectively explicit opt-in, where you have a checkbox. We've all seen this. And you have to put a tick in the box to say that you agree to the terms and conditions before purchasing. And only after ticking the box can you pay. If you can't do that, you can just have the text which says, by proceeding past here, you agree to the terms and conditions, but it's better to be explicit. Okay, no problems. So we're going to Stripe. And there is the ability to turn on, it's like a payment consent. And suddenly there is a checkbox and you've got to put a tick in there and only after you put in the tick can you proceed. However, <laughs> you can't do that with the embeddable pricing table. And it seems like it was only a few weeks ago based on the one response I read from a very awesome support person at Stripe. Only a few weeks ago they implemented that with the API based model. And, and when we say the API based model, it's like you create a checkout session. So someone is on the Have I Been Pwned website, they're like, I want to pay. And so, like, okay, that's a callback to Have I Been Pwned. Have I Been Pwned goes to Stripe, creates a checkout session, gets a redirect URL. The customer then gets redirected to that URL and Have I Been Pwned has already sent, you know, the customer's email address and the product they're buying and all this sort of stuff. So we're back at this situation where it's like, you can do the no code version, which is great, but you can't use the feature which is on, let's call it the low-code version where you're having to do some wrangling with API calls before sending them to Stripe. So that missing feature parity is frustrating in part because it's not immediately obvious. So, you know, I'm there reading the API docs and, okay, this is just API docs, but it would be kind of cool to go, hey, if you're trying to turn this on over here in the low or no-code option, which we're pushing people towards, you can't actually do it. Uh, in fact, if I look at the actual response from the uh, Stripe engineer, which I can read because it was on the public timeline, uh, Edwin. So Edwin said, uh, not today, no, you can't do that. Terms of service acceptance was added to checkout and payment links a few weeks ago, and we're working on adding it to the pricing table. Can you ping me when you're available? What other no-code options would you like? I'm also available at email address, which is really, really cool. So thank you, Edwin, for... Uh, I've looked briefly at his profile. It says, Mr. Manager at Stripe. So <laughs> thank you, Edwin, Mr. Manager at Stripe. I'm going to get in touch with you uh, very, very shortly. Now, looking at the other comments here before I go on to the next topic. Uh, Juan is in uh, NYC. Well, it's just the podcast version. Haven't seen The Office. It looks awesome. Yeah, I should talk about that, actually. This, in fact, I realized what I... What I was going to do is close my door so it looks neat. Um, there you go. That's my cupboard. <laughs> I put my badges in. The office is looking really neat. So you can see most of the good work here now. The uh, acoustic panelling on the wall, if I tilt it up, the ceiling is not quite done yet. You'll see a part of the ceiling. We're still working on actually getting the panelling right uh, at the moment. So when it's done, this will go all over the ceiling, which would be super, super cool. So it looks like a, just a great big panel. Uh, the new desk is here now, which came a couple of weeks ago. I was tweeting about that. Uh, that's great. It's really, really solid. Um, custom made, so it's got like slidey trays and things for the PC and the UPS and all that kind of stuff, which is great. 
massive, really, really big opening. So Charlotte and I can both sit there together in front of the wall of screens and work together, which is really cool. When I shared photos of this, some people were like, oh, there's no windows, you know, there's no windows, it's too dark. Uh, all the light you see on me now is by virtue of the windows over here. So there's, there's lots and lots and lots of uh, natural light if I want it. But to be honest, most of the time when I'm in front of screens, I, I like it being a bit darker. Uh, and then as Scott knows, I can go downstairs and out there and I've got more sunlight than probably all of you put together. So, so there's no shortage of sunlight as my usual tan would suggest. We haven't had a, a lot of it yet. So waiting for someone to kick in. So this is looking really cool. You can just see on the wall over there where I've got the certificates that all got wallpapered. Oh, geez, probably a year ago now. But it's uh, it does have a texture to it. It's not just a solid color. And it's um, it's nice, pretty happy about it. So I can see some questions in here as well related to that uh, or other things. Lady B, miniature, Miniatures and Arts says, debating using Stripe for art business. What's the cost involved in terms of transactions, et cetera? I, I think it's about a half of a percent. I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, I, I do think that th there's a big sort of decision to be made about do you want to like a do-it-all kind of shopping cart, in which case you're probably better off going to like a WooCommerce or something like that where everything gets bundled into the one product or are you trying to run your own product and you're, you know, like have I been paying with API keys and you just need to do just the payment bit? So, probably an important decision. Uh, Ilya says, uh, can you share the LED light names model, please? Um, yeah, good question. Let me get one, hold on. <laughs> so this is my box of IoT crap, um, which says IoT lights, hub switch bots and curtains. So the lights that I've been using, so the down lights that are in the ceiling, are these ones just here. Now, these are branded as Grid Connect from DITA. Now, most of these, most of these, I'm pretty sure I got these at Bunnings, which is a big, uh, big warehouse sort of hardware store here in Australia. They're somewhere around the $20 mark or something like that. So these are um, these are good for what they are. They integrate with Tuya if you want to do the Home Assistant thing, so you can use the Tuya app to control them. They're pretty cheap. They're really easy just to plug into the ceiling, but Tuya still doesn't have local control. So they're cloud-based control, which is enormously frustrating because you're always dependent, not just on having connectivity and having cloud, which I normally do, uh, but you're dependent on the latency of going up there as well. I'd much rather local control. Uh, <laughs> Scott is in Melbourne and his son challenged. Sorry, mate. Uh, Linux here, 412 Linux is happy with the office. That's good. Steven says, it feels like us people in the UK are helping the negative light amount. I don't think it does even out. Um, Okay, now Ilya's asking about the ones on top of the monitors, not the ceiling. So the ones you see on top of my monitor there, which you normally don't see when I'm doing these live streams because they're pointing at me, they are Elgato key lights. And Charlotte's got a couple of those in her office too. She's got a couple of smaller ones, so, so they're two different sizes. And those key lights are mounted onto the wall using some Elgato um, uh, little mounts. And then the cables sort of run in and disappear in a hole behind the wall 
And if you see just where the microphone is, there's actually no cables from the stuff on the wall to the stuff beneath the wall. So it's just a clean line, which, especially as I move the monitor arm out of the way, you can see, which is really nice because nobody likes seeing cables. Now, moving on to other things. What I actually put on my list here? Fast internet. So this is amazing. Uh, I cannot properly express how happy I am about this because forever and a day, it was the running joke that isn't it nice that I have like sunshine and beaches and things like this, but my internet is shit and people like Scott took great pleasure in making a point about the big thing that was missing from my life here. So as of yesterday, we finally fixed that. Now, by way of a little bit of background, uh, we got in Australia what's referred to as the National Broadband Network or the NBN introduced by a previous government. We've had a lot of governments lately. <laughs> Don't laugh at that one, Scott, because you're worse than us at the moment. Anyway, so uh, we've had a lot of governments. We got the NBN, I want to say the announcements of that was like a decade ago. And the National Broadband Network has been rolling out bit by bit. One of the things that was broadly criticised for, I suspect it was even more than a decade ago, it goes back so long, uh, is the fact that we had this new future-looking broadband network rolling out, and it was really just capped to 100 megabits. You could not get on a consumer plan more than 100 megabits, which meant that you got less than 100 megabits because you never get the advertised throughput. What it meant here is that I have been stuck with about 40 megabits down. Could not get more than 40 megabits down. Now, the whole thing was partly because as they were rolling out the National Broadband Network and rolling out the fibre, they were rolling out fibre to nodes, which means that somewhere around here, I don't even know exactly where, there was a node. And the fibre went to there, and then from the node to the house was copper. And the throughput of that was very limited. So finally, we had fibre made available here. I think I saw an announcement about that like about a month ago, and this is obviously fibre to the premise, which is now an entirely different situation. Yesterday, we finally got fibre to the premise in after multiple visits and then a guy with a very large drill. And even this, this was just typical, typical government. <laughs> the guy turns up and he's like, yeah, the, the, the fibre's been terminated uh, outside the house, because no one's had internal access yet, around where we keep our rubbish bins, and it's on the outside of the garage. And then on the absolute other side of the garage, in the middle of the house, is where the current phone line comes out, which is where the previous NBN had been plugged into, and where our server cabinet and everything else. And he's looking at it going, how are you going to get that from there to there? <laughs> I was like, uh, I thought you were going to do that because you're the broadband guy. And he's like, no, 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 that's, that's not our job. You know, you've got to get someone else to that. So what it ends up with is he gets this big kick-ass drill, which I kid you not, was probably about two feet long. He drills it through the concrete, through the wall, into the garage, terminates the fibre there with an MBN box, and then says, good luck, you're on your own. Now, fortunately, I have a very long Cat6 cable, so I've managed to run it from the MBN box on the wrong side of the garage, uh, run it all around behind the fridges, in front of the GTR, through the door, into the little wine cupboard slash server room, and plug it into the WAN port of the UDM Pro and get myself some broadband. I <laughs> There's a video of this, it shows you how far it runs, and I sent the video to my Sparky the other day, yesterday, and he just laughed, and he said this is like just such an NBN thing. So the next time the Sparky, 
electrician is out here. He is going to be very cleanly running it through a combination of existing conduit and a little bit more. And then I realized, and maybe someone has an answer for me on this. One of the, the nice things about the way my previous setup was done was because the modem sat in the server cabinet, it plugged into the UPS in the server cabinet. So if we lost power to the house, or if the electrician was here and had to power or cycle the power, the modem had power. Now the modem is on the complete other side of the garage in a place I cannot get power to from the UPS. Can you extend the fiber and instead of running Cat6 from that box on the wrong side of the garage to the server cabinet, can we run fiber from where it currently comes into the garage and run that around? Or is running fiber either hard or really, really expensive or something? Find out, see if we know in the comments. Otherwise my Sparky, I'm sure, will be able to tell me. So anyway, now what do I get? I was getting 40 down, and well, in fact, I was getting about 38 down and about 18 up. So now, I uh, the stats I shared yesterday, I'm getting about 940 down and about 340 up, which is fantastic. I'm so, so, so happy about this. Because as you can imagine, particularly the 40 down, someone sends me a massive data breach, and I'm waiting, 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 waiting. So it was a really, really long process. Uh, so please, if you have a massive data breach, get in touch because <laughs> I'd like to test out the new network. I think it'll be really cool. Okay, comments here. Um, Stephen says, do you feel picked on today, Scott Helm? I don't think any more so than a, any normal day. Um, <laughs> George says, my favorite thing about Australian law is how it is illegal to run a cable through your ceiling cavity. There's a lot of stuff that's a bit unusual with Australian law and, and particularly anything to do with cables or power. So that it, it's commonly said in Australia as it relates to things an electrician must do, about the only thing you can do with electrical circuits in Australia before you need an electrician is changing a light bulb. Uh, so apparently even, would, hypothetically, if I had done, hypothetically, if I had done some of these things, you're not meant to, Apparently, even mucking around with Cat6 cable, if it's like behind a plug on a wall, is a no-no. That needs to be an electrician. Now, I'm not sure how much power actually runs through a Cat6 cable, but I'm pretty sure it's basically none. A little bit, purely, but basically none. So you've got to get an electrician to do just about anything. Uh, so certainly as it relates to uh, running Cat6 through conduits and things like that, you have to have uh, an, an electrician. So... Not such a bad thing, because I'm busy, I've got other stuff to do, and I'm very, very happy with my electrician. He has to make three more big-ass fans work. So you know all the dramas I had with big-ass fans? I managed to get on top of them, I bought three more. So I've got to go through the whole thing with like getting the old app, updating the firmware, then getting the new app, and then joining to the network and doing all this mucking around, but the fans are actually really, really happy. Well, I'm really happy with the fans, so I got more. Um, Stephen says, time to get home battery. One of the things that is on my to-do list, which is just is overwhelming, is I do want to go down the solar out and look at if there's a battery option as well. Uh, I was listening to the radio, and I've been thinking about this for ages, but listening to the radio yesterday morning, and they're talking about how Australia has more than double the per capita solar output already through solar systems than anywhere else in the world, which is, which is you know, good on us because we burning a whole hell of a lot of coal for everything else. 
so that's great. And we're living in a particularly sunny place here, 300 days of sunshine a year on the Gold Coast. It just hasn't been the right time for various reasons to, to go and do the solar thing. But, but now it is. So I, I do want to pick up that and actually start to do some serious solar. Look at the battery option as well, which is a good point because that may mitigate the need to plug that, uh, that fibre modem into a uh, UPS. Matthew says, had the same issue at my place, ran a conduit through the roof and the MBN, MBN contractor passed through fibre into the garage, which is where the NTD exists. Uh, Lee says, did you get a battery backup on the MBN box? Uh, that's a good question. You know what? I took a photo of it. I took a photo of it with the cover off it. Um, I, don't, I don't think so. So for those of you watching, that's what the MBN box looks like. So the fibre is the little yellow cable you can see there, and then CAT6 is not plugged in there at the moment, that goes in the bottom. But that does not look to me like it has a battery backup. Be an easy test, just pull the cable out of the wall and see if the lights stay on. Um, oh, maybe it does. What's that? I'm going to go pop the cover off later and have a look, because now I'm curious. Good question. George says, fibre can be spliced, sure. Okay, good. I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, yes, and it's $50 a metre. I don't know. Uh, Kaylin says, my FTTP experience, my fibre to the premise experience is similar. Too many people involved and no continuity or communication between contractors. George says, you need to check if it's an MBN property or yours. Ben, I thought MBN fiber to the premise was supposed to come with a battery backup. Okay, well, I'm hearing this multiple times now. I will, uh, I will go and have a look at that box more closely because that would be great. I would love to, I'd love to have one less thing that's going to drain the UPS <laughs> when the power goes off. I'm also very, very happy, very excited about going down and removing that like shitty Netgear modem Wi-Fi bundle it all in one crappy device that was in there. I can actually remove that permanently now, which is great. Scott says, depending on how the fiber is terminated, you might be able to get a fiber switch and run another fiber cable to server. Well, again, it won't matter if there is a battery backup on it. I'll, I'll have to look at that. Um, George says, data cable is exceptionally dangerous. I'm not sure if that's tongue in cheek. Richard, they just announced my suburb is now fiber to the premise upgrade eligible. Anyone know how long between announcement of your area showing FTDP upgrade available? I imagine that differs massively depending on where you are. But uh, one of the things that I recall is, I, I think it was, I want to say maybe six weeks maximum for me, which did involve everything getting pushed back a couple of weeks because something somewhere wasn't ready. But the problem, of course, is that you're dealing with your ISP, so in my case I use Aussie Broadband, who I'm massively happy with, and then they are dependent on the NBN contractors and the underlying network to do the other bits. So, you know, to literally get all the cabling, all the physical bits in, and then they will turn on the other bits. But my relationship is with Aussie, but then you're getting messages from them and you're getting messages from NBN, and it does get a bit messy. Um... <clears throat> Now, Lee also says when he got fiber to the premise, Mel came with a default battery backup. I've got to have a look in this, this box and see what's in there. Scott says, just make sure you don't bend the Cat6 too much <laughs> or it slows the data down. <laughs> um, George, if I remember correctly, the whole of South Australia and the ACT are on solar wind. Yeah, I don't know. 
Pat loves the Bunnings IoT box. My IoT crap lives in the same box. So I have a, a box of IoT crap, which is a combination of like LED light strips and things. What else is in here? Um, some stuff haven't opened, smart blinds. Uh, Oz Smart Things sent me this, and I just haven't found a place to use it. Some stuff I've cycled, so... What the hell's that? Smart bulb, I don't know why I have that one. Uh, it's a little bit like a drawer of broken dreams. And I actually have a drawer of other IoT things in there. It's got like all the care attempt sensors and things like that. I've got a drawer of Ubiquiti stuff that I've opened and used. I've got an entire shelf of Ubiquiti access points and all sorts of things that they've sent me over the years that I've either used and cycled or just just never used. So that, that cupboard <laughs> is full of a lot of stuff. Um, what else is in here? I'm going to skip through some of these. Uh, okay, AAG885 said new systems don't have backup batteries. Rodney says no backup. No battery there, okay, interesting. Matthew, battery is a separate box. Rodney says battery is standard for the LDS. It sounds like the question I should be asking here is, if it doesn't have a battery, can I get a battery? Richard, the original MBN rollouts include battery, but they dropped it pretty quickly. I think I still include a friend BN where life would be at risk, which is perhaps the elderly thing. Uh, Wayne's in the UK, has battery on his uh, fiber to the premise. Uh, Matthew says battery is optional. Nathan just tweeted me a picture of the battery box. We'll go and look at that later on. Um, interesting. And Lee is very happy with Aussie Broadband too. So I think the thing about Aussie Broadband is you always get someone local for a support call. And that, look, there is something very different speaking to someone who is local, particularly when you're trying to solve local problems. I think we all get a little bit... Uh, a little bit frustrated at times when we feel that we just get palmed off to a call center on the other side of the world. You know, having something local is a nice feeling. 412 Linux says, in my area of the US, the provider must provide a battery backup if the modem device also facilitates phone services for emergency devices. Okay, not in this case. Tim says, are you using IPv6 with uh, Aussie Broadband? Uh, not explicitly. No, that's not something I've turned on. And George says Aussie Broadband is great because the person on the other end of the phone call knows what DHCP does. That's the other thing I've found. They always understand the technical bits. Now, I mean, this was a good example yesterday. I just remember this. The NBN guy's here. And he's like, you know, where's the cable got to go to? And I'm like, hey, come here, come here, because I'm very proud of my server rack and everything. And I'm like, behold, here it is. And he's looking at the old modem, the one that literally plugs in from the telephone line and then has the built-in Wi-Fi and all the other shitty Netgear stuff and then goes to the WAN port of my dream machine. And he's like, you're going to need that. I'm like, no, I shouldn't need that because I'm, I'm, I'm literally not plugging in over the phone line anymore. Like, can't you just plug the MBN cable directly into the WAN port? Of the and he really didn't understand what it was. Uh, so obviously... I assume he is very good at running fiber cables, but he had no idea what to do once it came out of the box. Every time I speak to someone at Aussie, as soon as I start talking about ubiquity, they're like, oh yeah, we know exactly what that is. And we can talk about DHCP and DNS and all the other acronyms and they get it straight away. So massive kudos to them. Very, very complimentary mood today between them and Stripe. Uh, Luke says, I have fired the premise for the broadband and never had an issue even at one gigabit. Also, they will allow you to opt out of CGNet. George, I don't think tradies necessarily need network training. No, 
No. Uh, basically, as best I could tell, he knew how to operate a drill and he could tell when the light went green on the box because he took a photo of it. <laughs> so, moving on, moving on. So there are other things going on today. Put a little bit of a uh, teaser here. The magical 17% annual discount. Now, I mentioned last week, we're about to roll out the different rate limits on Have I Been Pwned API keys and also the annual billing, which has been in very, very high demand. And I am saying we now, not in the royal we sense, because Charlotte is very heavily involved in everything we're doing, uh, which is making my life an enormous, an enormous amount easier. So she's taking care of a whole bunch of the Stripe stuff, a whole bunch of support stuff I'm going to talk, uh, talk about in a moment, uh, all the legal and the documents and all the other stuff, all the things that need to be done. So it, it is now genuinely, it's only two people, but it is a we effort rather than a me effort. Now, to figure out how to do the annual pricing, I, I kind of went, what do you do? Like, do you, do you just charge 12 times more? Uh, but people expect it to be a bit cheaper. Do you charge 11 times more? Like you get a month for free. And then we kind of just went, why don't we just see what everyone else is doing? So we found an interesting pattern, and I'm going to put this in the blog post, but I'm curious as to whether anyone knows the answer. Uh, I looked at, uh, what did I look at? It's in my document in here somewhere. It's in, I have an Excel document in here which has it. I was looking at other services. So other services that provide you both uh, annual and monthly options. Now here's the three that all had the same outcome. Slack, Zendesk and Zoom. Every single one of them, if you bought an annual subscription, you got a 17% discount over just paying monthly for a year. Each one of them was 17%. Now, rounded to 17%, wasn't perfect because it'd be something like, and these numbers won't make sense, but for argument's sake, it'd be, let's say, $3.50 a month, but then instead of being 12 times that, which would be $42, it would be, and then they took off the 17%, which is just doing the numbers in your head, let's say that takes off another $7. Instead of being like $35.27, that'd make it $35.49. You know, obviously trying to pick the right number there, but it always rounded to 17%. So I'm curious, is there any psychology or math or anything involved in getting to 17%? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I've just seen a comment here from Nathan, so it's close enough to 10 months. It, it, it is close, but what if we did the exact numbers? Uh, so if, if we did a uh, 17% discount on 12, oh, boy, this... All the alerts about what's new in the third-party calculator app on the iPad. No, I, t I don't want $8.99 a week for a calculator. Jeez, go away. <laughs> if we did 12, uh, let's see, times 0.83, so we get a 17%. What? Didn't work. 12 times 0.83. That is 9.96 months. So yes, you, you, you're right. It's very close to 10 months. So it's very much a, uh, is it buy 12, get two free? Is that the logic? Maybe. Anyway, it was just interesting how consistently that was the outcome. And I guess 
I, I was originally reticent to start going down this path because it feels very sleazy marketing, right? It's like, you know, how can we incentivize people to upsell into the next thing? And I was originally thinking, I'm just going to make it 12 times more just to, just to mess with people. You know, they'll be like, why is it exactly 12 times more? It was 12 months. Yeah, but uh. anyway, originally tempted to do that. But in all fairness, when you have a process that only happens once every year instead of 12 times every year, it does reduce overhead. It reduces the number of times someone might report it as a fraudulent transaction. It reduces the number of times that callbacks and API calls and things like this are made. Like it does actually take away some overhead. And of course, it does bring forward some fees. So there is an advantage for the service operator. So but my gut feel is that there's probably something in this 17% thing, which as we've just discussed, might actually be a two-month thing. So uh, I, I think that that's where we're going to end up. But I'm, I'm just... I'm fascinated by the fact that it was consistently 17%. Like each one we looked at and then we did the maths, we're like, holy shit, that's 17% again. What are the chances? So there's uh, there's that. Now, looking at the other comments in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of NBN stuff. Stephen says, is Charlotte a TVP, Troy's valued partner? <laughs> Troy's most valuable partner. Um, yeah, we just, fortunately, we work really well together because we um, we don't get a lot of time out otherwise. But uh, she is, she's wonderful. <laughs> so it, works, it works really, really well. It works extraordinarily well. Uh, and she has all the skills that she needs to complement the things that I do. And it's, it's not just the Have I Been Pwned bit, but all of my speaking engagements, she, she manages all of the workshops and figuring out what money to charge and all the logistics. She, she does all of that. And because she's come from a background where she, she organises people like Scott and myself and probably many of you through managing conferences, she knows us and our idiosyncrasies and our weirdness. So, no, she's, she's made a massive, massive difference. Uh, and Stephen is seriously glad I'm getting help running Have I Been Pwned. And, and, and I have to, and I, I think that you will start to see a theme evolve over the coming weeks and months of, of actually getting help uh, to run the service because it, it has to. It has to be more than just me because I go out there and I have a, a jet ski accident, whatever the chances be, and it, it, it stops at the moment. So we, we have to work on that. We have to make it more self-sustaining and we have to have a very a very forward view to, to how to do that. Uh, obviously, things like the M&A stuff I went through a few years ago was not the answer. Well, that, that didn't work. And thank God, with the benefit of hindsight, for all sorts of reasons, uh, I, I am getting a clearer picture of what I do need to do to be sustainable. Scott has mentioned that it would be another jet ski accident. Never been hurt in a jet ski accident, though. Let's just uh, make a note of that, please. Okay, next things. Um... I mentioned support, so I'm talk about support and Zendesk. Now, uh, as I explained in the blog post, I originally thought that because I sent every email from Have I Been Pwned from no reply at haveibeenpwned.com, nobody would reply. Uh, and that would solve the problem of me having to deal with people. And it's not that I'm being antisocial, it's that you end up with a whole bunch of people using an API, which at, at the time was really just priced to keep the baddies out and the goodies in. Uh, and, and really, the, the intention was still to make it massively available for basically free to everybody. 
the intention was I just couldn't scale myself to deal with support questions. The reality of it was that lots of people replied to the no reply address. Um, now, I was black-holing every single email, but the reason I know is because after replying to no reply and then not getting a reply, go figure, they would seek out my email address and then they'd forward that thread to me and then they're like, I've already emailed you and you didn't reply. It's like, yeah, well, you emailed the no reply address. <laughs> like, what were you expecting? But there are several problems with this. And one of the problems is, is that as soon as you pay for something, even if it's only $3.50, there is some form of expectation of support, particularly when it's recurring. So for example, one of the things that people would contact me about is they'd say, how do I cancel my recurring subscription? Because every month I'm being charged $3.50. And very often people would be polite about it, where they're like, look, I love what you do, I'm happy to support you, but I just, I can't figure out how to kill this charge. Now, when people first signed up at Have I Been Pwned, there was a message that said, look, just come back to the same page, verify your email address, and you can cancel it. Uh, I'm pretty sure within the actual email stripe says there are instructions in there as well. There's a link to go back to the APIQ page. But it was things like that that people were asking for support on. There were support questions of a technical nature. The most common I'd get is someone to say, I bought this API key and it's rate limited to one request every 1500 milliseconds. The rate limit's not working, it's too aggressive. Now, incidentally, I was reading about Azure API management services this morning uh, because this is what's sitting between the consumer and have I been pwned, and it does the rate limiting. And they did say, like, this is not exact for all sorts of obvious reasons. Latency, number one, if you make a request precisely at every 1.5 seconds and one of them is a little bit faster, a little bit slower, then one of them is going to come back 429 too many requests. So I usually tell people, leave a buffer, you know, make it every 1,500 milliseconds uh, plus 10%. So there's that. Um, but the, the other thing that, that people would often do is they'd come back and say, look, the rate limit's not working. I even backed it off quite a lot. And they what they wouldn't realise is that they're running multiple threads or that they've redistributed their API key to someone else or something has jumped in the way there. So we wanted to get together some form, again, we, <laughs> we shall as well, some form of a structure where we could do support in a way that hopefully has as little burden as possible on us. Uh, so for example, we wanted to have a knowledge base. So if someone needs an answer to something, hopefully they can find it themselves for logging a ticket. We've all seen this on services that we log tickets on. We wanted to have uh, a proper sort of triage system because it might be that we have more people in future and someone else needs to answer the question. We also just wanted to get away from the direct dependency on me. Uh, if I am not here, either because of a aforementioned jet ski accident, <laughs> or I had a period earlier this, this year, no, it was last year, we went to Kakadu up in the Northern Territory and we literally had no signal for days. I could not do anything. So we want to have independence from me as a sole operator. So having a support system is, is a really major step in that direction. So I tweeted in September and I asked people, you know, what product have you used? What would you recommend? What's good? And a bunch of people had a bunch of different ideas. In fact, I won't name the ones that we looked at and discarded because I don't think any of them were necessarily particularly bad. But Charlotte especially put a lot of work into looking at what was the best thing that worked with the way we work. <clears throat> so for example, it's everything from I get a lot of emails directly, I want to just forward those onto an address and have a ticket created out of it, through to being able to have a nice uh, interface. Uh, it's funny actually, George just said the only bad one is Jira. 
that was the one we were actually pretty serious about. And then Zendesk was better. <laughs> I was going to use a different term. <laughs> Zendesk was better. We looked at Jira. We looked at going down the whole Atlassian route. It just it didn't feel anywhere near as cohesive as Zendesk. Now, interestingly, in the feedback we got, more people, anecdotally, were supportive of Jira and critical of Zendesk. But feature parity and everything changes over time. When we went through and looked at it, Zendesk was just a really neat model. Uh, it's massively popular. I've realized, for example, services like TripIt use Zendesk. And I only realized because I had to go in and try and figure something out in TripIt which eventually I did figure out my own, but I went to log a support ticket and I said, this looks really familiar. Nah, it's, it's Zendesk. So we're using Zendesk to do all that. We rolled it out silently. So one of the things I've been doing with Have I Been Pwned is just pushing stuff out a little bit silently, just to see <laughs> what breaks before I announce it. So the, the Zendesk stuff was out for about a week before I uh, spoke about it publicly. And it was good because now things like when a Stripe bill goes out, it goes from billing at haveibeenpwned.com. And then there's an inbound email address on Zendesk so that if anyone sends an email to that address, which is the old equivalent of replying to the no reply address, it just goes in and automatically creates a ticket. And we're getting, I'd say like one ticket a day, is like a really, really low number. And that's allowing us to build up the knowledge base, make sure that we've got answers for the things that people want. And now we just got macros where we get up in the morning and Charlotte just goes, yep, bam, reply, and it's like a five-second job, and it's done. So that's what we've done with Zendesk. Very happy so far with it. The, the main thing that pops up in my mind complaint-wise is the other day I was looking at the Zendesk mobile app, and I was looking at uh, a ticket which had been created because I had forwarded an email that had like screen grabs of some invoices in it, and I'd forwarded it, and I couldn't see them. And what I've realized is that the Zendesk mobile app does not support HTML. So if someone sends you an email, they've embedded images, they've made some stuff bold, whatever, you go to the Zendesk website and it's great. Like I fought on an email and it's got my signature with the Have I Been Pwned logo and everything there and it's all formatted great. But then you go to the Zendesk mobile app and you don't see that. And for the most part, you go, well, that doesn't matter too much because a lot of the time you're just going to choose a canned response anyway. But where it actually gets quite annoying is that in the, the macros we'd created, because you can create a macro, for example, to say, someone is asking, how do I cancel my subscription? Uh, well, the, the macro involves sending a response that has a piece of hyperlinked text. Now, how do you hyperlink text in an email? Well, it's an HTML email. But the mobile Zendesk app will not let you run that macro because you've eventually, uh, inevitably got HTML in the response to the macro, which it doesn't support. It feels a little bit like the Stripe thing and the checkbox for accepting terms and conditions, where you just, the, the as a service model for payments, support desks, a gazillion other things are great when you play by their rules. But as soon as you get past that little point and you want to do something that's not prescribed or already supported by them, it's painful. So I'd love to see Zendesk do that better. Let's have a look at the comments. Uh, Steven says, I'd rather Troy won the lottery rather than the bus jet ski accident. I, you know, if I won the lottery, I'd still keep doing this. This is fun. I, I find it fascinating. I've got a data breach to process at the moment, which it's a, it's a doozy. I might try and do that today, actually. George is the only bad ones. Jira, we just touched on that. Jira is great until you try and use it. Well, okay. 
Stephen says, Jira is very Marmite, Vegemite. People either really love it or really hate it. And that's the feeling I was getting from all this as well. Gus says, damn straight read Jira. Well, okay. George, how's the mobile, or how's the website on mobile? Uh, it is good. The only issue I found, this is the most minor of all things, um, is a little bit similar to a discussion Scott and I were having, <laughs> I guess only about an hour and a bit ago, mate, about how much do you care about the little nuances that end up visually there in a turnkey service like Stripe or, or Zendesk. And I wanted to sort of customize some template stuff on Zendesk, like some visual template stuff. And basically there, there are, there's browser-based configuration, go in here and set the hexadecimal color that you want and choose an image for your banner image, that kind of stuff. There are also themes, so you can go away and get themes that other people have created. Incidentally, they're bloody expensive. Like they're hundreds of dollars for a lot of these themes. Or you can go and edit the template yourself. So I originally went, okay, well, I will download their template. It's all handlebars, uh, the same thing as Ghost users. I know this, I can edit it, and then I can put that in GitHub and you can deploy from GitHub. And that started to get very complicated. But what you can do is you can go through and just edit the handlebar markup yourself directly in the browser. So if you're wanting to make a really, really small change, like I just wanted to block a text on the front page to explain what was in scope and out of scope, which I'll touch on in a moment. But I also wanted to put the Have I Been Pwned logo there. So for some reason, it just seemed like uploading assets was a pain in the ass. So I went, oh, just inline an SVG. So I created an SVG, inlined it, uh, but it was one of those SVGs where it's just using CSS to format text and the text just looked crap on the mobile device. So I went through, back to Illustrator, create outlines out of everything, put a much bigger block of SVG on the web page, job done. So that was my only drama so far with mobile compatibility. Let me touch on the, the scope bit. And I explained this in the blog post and I also put this uh, right up front on support.haveibeenpwned.com. This is only for the commercial API key, the one that you can go and buy publicly from haveibeenpwned.com. We're just not gonna support the masses coming forward and asking data breach related questions. Uh, and that's for a few reasons. Number one, a bunch of the questions are pretty screwy. <laughs> it's literally, I gave an example in the, and I paraphrase, but it's the same sort of stuff I get all the time. It's like, please erase all my data from all of the data breaches or I'm gonna send my lawyers after you. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> that's not how any of this works at all. And if you're angry enough and you go to your lawyers, eventually you'll figure that out and you won't be getting anywhere. Uh, there are lots of, being less disingenuous about it, there are lots of really, really good, important questions people ask about data breaches that are out of scope. Uh, particularly when it's, let's say it's like the Facebook scraping incident, phone numbers exposed. What should I do next? Uh, this is a phone number that, you know, should I go and change it? This was my kids, like all of these questions which are very, very relevant. We, with hundreds of thousands of people a day coming to the site, we cannot support that. Uh, and really we're, we're providing support at the bare minimum level for the things that we feel we really need to. I do think that there is an interesting opportunity here. <laughs> Sounded really marketing. I do think there's an interesting opportunity here around how do you help the masses with questions like that? I don't know the answer for it. I honestly don't have any plans around it either, but I just know there's a lot of people looking for answers there. And it does seem like the sort of thing that would be nice to be able to support folks on in the longer term. No idea how to do it. But 
that sort of stuff is out of scope for now. Uh, Gus says, has the 1000 slash 400 novelty worn off as yet, which of course is my new connectivity? No, it is not. And I'm looking for excuses to actually max it out. <laughs> so if anyone has suggestions of very large legal things to download, uh, that would be great. Eric's in Texas. Howdy, Eric. George, Troy, can you please take me out of the Optus Bridge? <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, boy, is, uh, that's an interesting one. George also says, I know people who got phone calls from Aussie asking them to please stop doing speed tests. How does that work? So they, they want, who's doing the speed test? Aussie's doing the speed test or their device is doing the speed test? Scott says, also, I peed in the pool. Can you take the pee out? I did have to drain the hot tub the other day. That might have been you. Just, just saying. Just saying. Um, Gus says, uh, why not a Debian repo locally? Because, of course, I do actually have work to do today as well. Um, we are, just to start to round this out, we are still trying to push ahead with this rate limit and annual billing stuff. There's... There's a lot to do. There's less about code and more about the other logistics. So I think we're actually clear enough on the pricing and the rate limits now. I've got to write this up to clearly explain it because there's stuff that needs to be explained. Uh, so there's that. The terms and conditions, KPMG are hopefully finalising today because I want to put these new T's and C's in before people sign up for things that might last a year. Um, there's I have to contact every single person currently using the service because there will be changes not least of which is the new terms and conditions. So I, I have to write code to email every active key on have I been pwned. I know I'm going to get a small amount of abuse for it because it's the internet. <laughs> so I've got to get ready to deal with it. That's definitely coming from a no reply email address, I'll tell you that much. So I've got to organise all of that. Uh, there are other things as well. I can't remember. I'll work it out. I have a list. <laughs> I have to go through it. Oh, yeah, actually, like, making sure that, that you do have a key that's part of a different rate limit. So I have to go through APIM and look at that. I'm getting emails from Azure the other day saying that the API I'm using is going to be uh, expired in about a year from now. So should I now go and do that rollover? You know, how much work's involved? Not so sure. Uh, okay, look, I think we're there, folks. I'm going to wrap it up there because we are going on just about an hour uh, it's about 9.30 here, which means I've been up <laughs> for five hours already. So I still have a lot of my day behind me. I am going to jump into that API now. Uh, and then I am going to get that bike ride and that beer this afternoon with Charlotte uh, and enjoy my weekend. Thanks very much for watching. I hope you like this new aspect. Hopefully next week I will have sorted out my sound problems or, I don't know, done something different. And I'll uh, chat to you then. See you, everyone.